Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we have a special guest host with us. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, mystery guest? Uh, hi, I'm Charles. I live with Mango and play games with these idiots. Alright, and today we're going to talk a little bit about Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? It is remarkably simple. We like to talk about games. Um, and Player Unknown's Battleground is... Player unknowns, like possessive battlegrounds, uh, is the new hotness, right? It's the new game that that, that came up, uh, uh, I guess, kind of through like Twitch and everything like that, right? Over the past couple of months, um, and it is now hugely popular. They keep announcing these big sales figures, like two million sold, three million sold, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's on the Xbox One, uh, it's on the PC, and uh, and we've been playing a lot of it over the past couple of days. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, at some point for me, like, uh, last episode, listeners will remember, I said it grabbed me. I'm up to 58 hours played right now. Wow, holy uh, shit. Um, I know can you, I, but you... Can I check how many hours I've played? Is that kosher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, yeah it's... it's uh, it won't show up in the recording. Um, but, uh, do you do... Do you ever play? Do you ever play solo mango? Uh, yeah. Um, I've I, especially when I was really into it, I've played a lot of solo. I also played a lot of duo with 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 other friend of the cast, Monic. Um, just because oh, man, you know we were literally just playing before the cast. We should have asked Monic. That that would have been a good idea if he wanted to come on. We were literally just playing. I mean, it's like midnight his time. I bet he would yeah. want to uh, would want to cast until two in the morning anyway. Um, but player knows battlegrounds. Uh, PUBG, as people call it, um, is uh, just to give some I guess context to what the game essentially is. Right. So imagine it's a little bit like the Hunger Games. Right. You get dropped on an island. There's a hundred other people. Your goal is to be the last one alive. There's also team based modes and teams of two and four. Um, that are called duo and squad, uh, and uh, if you are, if your squad remains at the very end, that also counts as you know, essentially a victory. Uh, the island is huge, you know, several eight several kilometers by eight kilometers. Uh, that is actually bigger than I thought. <laughs> um, so you know, whatever that is, like twenty five square miles uh, or so. Um, and there's tons of little like nooks and crannies to go find guns and melee weapons and armor of various varieties you can get you can get uh vehicles um and the whole thing and the whole thing revolves around a big white circle on the map that progressively gets smaller and smaller and smaller uh because i'm sure as i'm explaining these you can just kind of say well why don't you just you know why don't you just find a spot camp it and stay there until you're the last one alive well so there's this uh um, so this white circle will decrease in size once every couple of minutes until it is, I, I, I guess until it is just abjectly tiny, right? Um, and anyone outside of that circle will start taking, uh, damage over time until they die. And that damage ramps up as the, as the circle gets smaller. It has the effect of putting a relatively hard time limit on the length of the match. Like, I don't think a match can go longer than half an hour just by, by the nature of the game. Um. Although most of them end a little bit earlier, and most of the time, you end your part of the match much before that. And, I, yeah. <laughs> and just kind of to jump into, it, I think this is one of the big strengths of the game. This, this is something that a lot of people point out, but it's um, in comparison to something like the other the other big streaming games, which are like Overwatch and League of Legends. When you start losing one of those games, um, you keep losing those games, and you have to ride it out till at least like the surrender marker until the rounds over and Overwatch whatnot. Um, you die in PUBG. 
you exit the game and you jump right back in. It is super simple, cyclical. And I think I think that's a big part of why I jumped back into it. Like it's 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 or ju jumped like so headfirst into it. It's like you can you can always keep playing. And if you feel like being stupid for a little while, you die, and then you uh you start again, and then you're no worse for the wear. Yeah. Well, uh, conversely, though. So first of all, I think that that is great, and it's really maybe an artifact of its success. Like I. You could imagine this game coming out and just like not catching whatever the the special secret sauce of like streamers and like like quality sort of, of game weird, and yeah, yeah. Well, right, well, right. even even if, like so so another thing about the game is it's janky janky AF it's in early access um and you think it's janky now you watch like YouTube videos from like two months ago and yeah, it's yeah. like even way <laughs> jankier um and so uh. The kind of the the thing that that I do have to say about it is like it just because it did catch on in this way, it's so quick to catch like match after match after match because there's always people playing, right? There's you know it it's matches of a hundred people. That's a lot of people to put yeah. into a I'm, game. Yeah, and at I once, definitely think that that works. is a powerful force that drives you to success in these kinds of you know like everybody wants a piece of this like multiplayer pie, but then you that you hear or talk to these um uh, uh you, you know you 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 look up how many people are actually sitting there playing you know battleborn right it's like 125 people and that's just not a robust enough uh group to support you know like to support your multiplayer game right i i and i, and I want to say like on the other end of this right like i think there's there's uh you know it is much easier to hit that that mark so that you can kind of saturate your servers with enough things that like games are you know what i mean like like payday 2 was not an incredibly popular game but it was a game that i played with you know randos on the internet all the time um and it at least had a couple of thousand players at any given moment so you know there it, it's not like i was cycling through the exact same people over and over again uh but there's a very real danger especially for a game like this that doesn't have like a major publisher release you know what i mean like all it really has to sell on is its gameplay and uh and kind yeah. of the like the, the the cult fame that player unknown the guy was able to kind of ring out of h1z1 and what was the other one daisy daisy yeah. and and Battle and Battle Royale was the uh, was was, was oh, the, right, the Arma mod. Yeah, yeah his, yeah, his yeah. Twitter handle is still Battle Royale mod. Um, uh, but uh, but the thing is, like, I th I none of us were very deep into those communities, right? Like the the player unknown brand meant nothing to me. Like it's I think this sort of speaks to Buddy's point that there's uh, the game really isn't trading on a lot of credit except what it earned for itself, at least to my to my mind. Like, yeah, DayZ and Arma had, uh, let's call it a cult following on, like, Twitch with streamers or whatever, but nothing approaching remotely uh, what Battlegrounds does. Uh, like, you know, it's usually in the top, like, three or four games and often, like, number one or two uh, on Twitch these days. And I think that... That drives its success because it is so watchable. Um, like streamers can, it's it's not like League, for example, or uh, a lot of games that require a lot more like dedicated focus. Like yeah, Battlegrounds, you need to focus, especially at like given times. But I think that like it really does lend itself to streaming specifically because there are these periods of 
I don't I hesitate to call them downtime, but they're sort of like tension filled downtime where you like you are just camping in a building and yeah, you're paying attention because if if someone got, comes through the door, you got to murk that guy right then, but you'll also have some warning of that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, also as if you're, so you, you don't have to be paying attention, chat. right? Like yeah. Right? Like like the the viewer could kind of have it on in the background and just like perk their ears up when somebody hears something and then the guy's like, "Oh, I hear someone or whatever." Yeah. Um which which I th is is a boon for for a lot of people, I, th I think. Like, you, you... I think the interactiveness of it with chat, which I just said, is probably one yeah. of the the big things that makes that gives it that sort of lasting quality on Twitch. Yeah. To say nothing of the rest of the qualities of the game, but I think that the social aspect there did help, you know, really perpetuate and promote the game. Yeah. I, I definitely I... think that that tension cycle that you were talking about too is a big part of the appeal. Um, like I, you know, so the, the player death being a fi like a, like the, the finite lose state, like, uh, for the game is super explicit, right? Um, it means that you really do like the, the highly lethal gameplay, right? Um, and the kind of the, the queuing the gameplay into very small, tiny things. I think all of that stuff is what creates this, like really great ground like groundswell of tension in any individual match right because like you are never explicitly safe because there could you know what i mean like there really always could be someone you know taking up position on some hill or some mountain so like and even if you're in a bathroom you know what i mean like camping you know camping a spot there's the there's the there's the tension of the play zone that's constantly decreasing right and are you gonna have to abandon your camp spot sort of thing right even the tension of i know that i'm in the bathroom and they don't know that i'm in here waiting with my with my shotgun to you know like to kill them sort of thing like all of that stuff i think is the most addictive feeling and i think that th this this like core loop is what is you know like the the distilled greatness i suppose uh if we were to call PUBG uh and great yeah they it's, it's, also sorry go on they also have the diablo thing too of of like you know oh, I don't know, like, what loot I'm going to find. I, you, you definitely feel that. I feel that more in this game than I do in a lot of, uh, what I'll say, more classically loot-driven games, right? Like, oh, you know, I, I maybe it's just because of the frequency of the loot um, or, like, how it's sort of, like, hidden around the map, but you're, you're always, like, looking for more. And even, like, kind of the things you're looking for the most are also sort of mundane. So even though the variety isn't nearly as great as, like, a Borderlands or... A Diablo or World of Warcraft or whatever, it's still like, oh man, okay, I found like these three painkillers, but now like I need to, I need to like pick those up because those be are very valuable resources later in the game. Conversely, it sucks when you spend 45 minutes looting and die to a headshot. Yeah. Like, that that is. You know, I do have to say feeling. that I think if I were to, you know, if I were to like talk about weaknesses, I think the lack of loot variety that you're talking about would actually be something I would qualify as a weakness a little bit. Um, I think that there is, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not huge. I wouldn't call it a flaw. You know what I mean? Like it's not like bad, uh, but it's definitely a part where I feel the game is still in early early access. You know what I mean? I think a, a full release of PUBG is really going to have a a robust. Uh, kind of loot list and I really like the idea that like I spawn in and I find you know like and I find a weapon and I find a gun uh, and even if I get really deep into the match right you know like kind of like top five 
territory, I still don't see the gun that I used last match kind of thing. And I think a little bit of the, uh, like, a little bit of the gameplay that's around, like, oh, well, the, you know... The M16 is my favorite weapon, and you know I'm I'm kind of constantly hunting for that. Is is to the detriment. I think I think PUBG ideally wants you to kind of like make do with what you got, sort of thing. Well, uh, um, I I think that's kind of I I think to Charles' point, that's that's part of what drive what makes the loot so uh, cycle so compelling is you know I you know you have your your preferred guns. You probably won't find them initially, but that also drives you to keep looking to see if you can find that. And I, I think that if you pull that out a little bit too far, you kind of lose that particular drive, right? Like, yeah. Go on, sir. Conversely, I also I this is something I never like about like uh, Call of Duty or more recent games in the Call of Duty franchise. You know, where like you can have something kind of like a. a World of Warcraft style, like, plus one gun of long-range accuracy, right? Where, like, you get all these, you get to these sort of minute differences and, like, oh, well, it's the same gun model, but now this one's got a skull and does three more damage than that gun, but really has no more. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to find, be looking for, I don't, I, to me, I don't want to have, like, too much variety. I do agree that, like, there is some, some room still, but having i think the game is already pretty close for me and i was sort of yeah i mean we are getting two new uh we are getting two new guns well, uh, what, what's right. care package only and the other is a pistol the um, care packages uh, are actually something i think is pretty interesting because i just don't i don't ever really get them and so it's kind of interesting to me that there is this emphasis on them in the patch notes or in the in the patches. Cause I was actually kind of thinking the same thing, to be honest with you. Um, so, like for instance, so, so of... can, can, do you, you want to explain the, the crate mechanic first? That way. Oh, that's a good call. Uh, so the the crate is every once in a while a plane will fly overhead and it will drop a crate on a parachute. The plane is very loud. Um, as as uh, Charles commented in the the past to me. Um, something that I didn't realize initially, but the loudness of that plane also kind of covers your your noise. Because you make a lot of noise in this game, that's your primary kind of, like, indicator of where somebody is if you can't make visual contact, which is most of the time. So, like, plane comes overhead, you can run around for a little while, but it drops this crate. This crate falls very slowly from the sky in view of almost everyone. You can see it from very far, far way off. Um, and uh, people go for them. Um, I Like, you go full coward, like we tend to do. You don't, you don't generally approach them, but it drives conflict. Um, the, the crate lands on the ground, puts up smoke, and within, like, 15 seconds, two cars and, like, a squad on foot will be at the crate, um, unless you're very lucky, and, uh, it's filled with goodies, it's filled with, with, uh, rare loot, um, exclusive loot in some way, in some ways, like, uh, some cases, um, yeah, it's, uh, it has, like, like high-powered sniper rifles. Uh, there's going to be a new gun that drops only in the crate soon that's, like, a it's more AR. powerful AR than the regular ones. Um, it's, I actually it, it, really want to talk about sound in this game, but we can we can finish the... Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll go back to... The, there's so much to talk about with this game. Um, there is a lot to talk about. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I, think... I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that the, loop, uh, that the, the, the primary directive for these crates is to drive conflict because there's there you know and it's funny because it's something that like you know you don't you don't see that often but it also shows up multiple times in a game and so there's a very big you know it's a big decision point 
for are you going to go for the crate or not and we've been screwed by that you know what i mean like i i've definitely been in games where we chose to go for the crate and that was our downfall right because we got into a firefight that we couldn't handle uh, but there have also been games uh where we went for the crate and kind of because everyone else was being a coward about it we uh you know like i came out with an lmg and we you know we used it to get super deep in the round um and so i think that that kind of like really really high spiky uh kind of cadence to the gameplay is what makes crates kind of so special um uh though i do agree with you that the more focus they get the more wary of them i kind of become i just i almost never feel like and this isn't really a mechanics thing this is just like is it ever really worth it to go for the crate? I think that, like, sometimes... Sometimes, if you're really hurting and you're just like, I need to get something, anything, that's, like, kind of when I'm willing to make that risk-reward play. But on average, it doesn't seem worth it to me. I, I love the mechanic from the everything else it does. I think that the plane overflights provide really cool atmosphere to the game. And I, as I was saying, like... The, the providing audio cover so like if you're stuck in a tight spot you can move but I just don't see uh, yeah there's some appeal to like oh maybe I'll get this rare gun but like is an adrenaline syringe which gives you 100% boost really worth it when you have thousands of boost items everywhere it's oh, we, we need to talk about boost too god there's so much um, <laughs> but um there's uh I, I think what what drives it it or what makes can make it worth it is not necessarily like there are very few times when a crate is very far away and I'm like let's fucking go for it like there's like, there are sometimes when it's like you know we're in a squad and two of our people are dead it's like eh, we want to go ham anyway to like maybe get the other people back in so let's go for the fucking crate why not um, but there's also these the, the those instances where it's relatively close to it's like you know maybe I'll get lucky this time and I'll be the first to the crate and if I'm the first to the crate that means I can handle anybody that comes to the crate. Um, and yeah, it's probably not worth it, but kind of like that, like those, you know, like the, the that greed wheel in your head kind of overrides that decision. Uh -huh. um, and you know, you're, you're probably it's probably it's probably better to, to just avoid it most of the time. But it's 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 fun, right? Like it's, no, I agree with you because I like yeah, I and I yeah, I also think it's a context thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. That's fine. Because uh, I think that there are definitely good contexts for the crate coming down you know like if it's right on top of you or if you can do good cover i also think that us specifically are pretty bad at like high Shooting. level coordination i guess um like i think ideally we would probably be better about okay one person goes for the crate you know the other three people are going to cover from this you know what i mean like we would be more explicit about it but like you know we just played a match where mango went for the crate and died because me and monic Got it. Like, to be Monic fair, took Mango loves yeah, No, I was going to say, if, 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 no <laughs> if we want to talk about, like, our tactics deficiencies, I go Rambo in on my own too often. Monic is bad you about talking. split off from the group. Like, yeah. it's like, we'll be like, we're going to land here. And you'll be like, great, good for you guys. I'm going to go fucking 30 miles away. I hope I meet up with you later. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, we, we, we have our tactical deficiencies. We, we definitely do. <laughs> Um, that, that's its, its, its own set of things. But I, I think that's also kind of like, I think it's also kind of like a driver for, for the game too, right? Like, those are things to, to work on in a way, right? It's like, I want to just kind of switch topics again, but like, it, it's one of the drivers of the, uh, kind of the, the loop is that it's very kind of 
apparent what you're doing. Like when you die, um, you might not always see where the shooter is coming from, but you can. It's it's very easy to kind of evaluate what happened and what you could do better next time, right? And and that, that that's one of those things, right? Like you know, picking up on the fact that maybe I shouldn't go so ham all the time, um, is or at least I should be going ham with teammates if we're going ham type of thing. Like that's it's 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 uh it's a thing to to, to work on and improve and that that drives the longevity of the game because that's that's another skill to master right and um when it's skills rather than kind of progress bars it feels like it, it's 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 a softer end so it feels it's it's not like you can max you can max out like your tactics um it, it feels like a thing that you can always improve on um and yeah. th that kind of drives the loop too um something that uh. I think I think this is more just a personal thing than anything else is that I definitely get the drive a lot of times to just kind of go for things even if I know it's a bad idea in part as as we talked about earlier because the game is kind of fast to get into but there's definitely a little bit of boredom which I think is okay it's not like to it's not Sometimes maybe it's not quite to the game's credit, but more often than not, the fact that like there are these sorts of downtimes is good because it, it it meters everything out. But like, I will I will quite often make a decision that I know was tactically poor just because I want to fight guys. Because fighting guys in this game is fun, mostly because I think this is just something about me. I don't really like single player games that much. I really like multiplayer games because uh, you're dealing with opponents i was gonna say smart opponents but that's not always true um but you're dealing with like, <laughs> rational actors you're not dealing with like algorithms and like sometimes like you know goofy behaviors and there's also something that inherently feels good about ruining someone else's day to me <laughs> yeah I'm, that's like that's that's such a su such an important part of this game right like i if like you know, wait i'm sorry you think the shot in freud is oh, oh yeah yeah oh 100%. like percent like like if I'm facing down a squad and like I knock somebody down and I see their friend come out and I'm probably not going to kill them, I will. So to explain to the to, to listeners, when you get shot enough if, on a, on a team, you will fall over and you'll be crawling around on the ground. And your team can pick you back up, but you can still be killed from that position. So you if knock you're someone killed, down. You're dead. Yeah. So you knock someone uh, down. Sort of a dumb thing to say. Yeah, but you know, it's it's, it's <laughs> there, there's there's no resurrection mechanic. There's a knockdown state and then there's a dead state. And if you're dead, you either exit or you spectate. Um, you spectate your, your teammates. So you knock somebody like down and like somebody else is coming at you and you're at the disadvantage. I'll just point the gun at the guy on the ground and be like, you're, you're, you're rounds over and, and murder that person and cackle and glee as, as I go down. Cause you huh. know, I, I've at least, I've at least made that guy's day a yeah. little you bit. Know, it is funny like, because when, I when... am motivated to do the exact same thing, but I never felt like that was schadenfreude. Even though like at the end of the day, I know that I'm going to be out of the round. It makes no difference to my round whether or not I kill this guy. I just wanted to kill him. I guess maybe it's because the game systemizes me killing people into equaling better rewards. You know what I mean? It's like so barely. I think the end of game rewards are kind of weak. Um, but to to that point though, like I guess I'm just sort of going to echo exactly what Mango said. Like if as long as I killed one person on the team that killed me, if we're playing teams, like I feel great because and killed, not just down, because I mean, great is probably a misnomer, but I just really enjoy knowing that uh, your your 
team game is going to be diminished and like maybe you're playing with randos and you don't care but i i just imagine that it's always you know now they're in the same dilemma that i would be in they're like oh well you know i kind of want to play this out but i don't want my friends to be bored so i guess i'm going to make poor decisions or or you know whatever to try and you, like get you, this game going faster uh find yourself like motivated by like competitiveness when it comes to pubg not really. Not well. If if you, by competitiveness you mean, uh, I don't have any innate desire to prove that I'm better than anyone else, but I do want to win the game. Like I don't know how to separate those sort of two points. It's not like I don't want to be like, oh look, like I I get to the top ten percent uh, nine times out of ten. That doesn't matter to me. But I do every game. I want to win it. You want the okay, chicken dinner? Okay, because that is a very, uh, that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because that's something that is, maybe it's just because I haven't played as much as you guys, uh, because that is a little bit alien to me at this point. And it's a feeling I know very well because that's how I played League for a long time. You know what I mean? Like, when I was really hardcore into League of Legends, that kind of competition, like, was the main fuel uh, that kind of got pumped into that engine. But PUBG feels like the the thing I'm I'm getting addicted to is entirely internal rather than like kind of external in that way um in the sense that i'm really into that into this kind of like tension loop and then the cooperative like multiplayer gameplay is like is like yeah. right up my alley like you know like i don't really feel bad when i lose and i don't necessarily even think about um like i like i you know like i want to win in a in an abstract sense but i'm not sitting thinking about the kind of uh I don't know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not thinking about like the game as a as like a as a a very as as hardcore a competition as the same way that I view something like you know League of Legends or even something like the Civ Five multiplayer games that we've done or the Civ Six multiplayer games that we've done kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like League of Legends, I I agree with you. I don't view it the same way as League of Legends, and I think at least to me personally. Like the Civ thing, that's sort of like this is a battle of wits, and, and that like because there's no uh, mechanical barrier. Anytime there's no mechanical barrier to something, uh, at least for me, I inherently feel like because I'm not a very mechanical player, I have horrible mechanics. Um, but I I like to think that I can like if it's if it's just my brain, I should be able to figure it out type deal. Yeah, I actually I actually think that that's a, that's a really solid kind of uh, 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 insight, buddy, because like. Um, with 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 in terms of like league and, and Overwatch at this point, um, it feels like a lot of times the games are kind of uh, just kind of like the means to get a higher rank, especially with the competitive stuff. Like, um, very true in league. I stopped liking quick play as much because the game the game within itself wasn't as enjoyable, but the the feeling of success upon getting like LP or whatever it's called, not LP, um, uh, the fucking rank. In the, in the yeah. game, <laughs> yeah, right. Overwatch, you're talking about? Oh, either, both games. Well, both, okay. yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, I think it's more true for League than it is for Overwatch. But like, the actual act of playing out the game isn't as rewarding. To, like, winning the round isn't as rewarding as getting that boost in rank. But in 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 PUBG, I couldn't care less about my leaderboard rank. Um, but I do care about like uh, I do care about like driving towards the end of the game. And and I, I see what you're saying in terms of like. It's more about the moment than it is about like, like, like the the end. Um, but I, I also feel kind of like, once you hit that top ten, like I generally feel that way until I hit the top ten, and then when I hit the top ten, it's like, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. 
the chicken the chicken dinner. It's, it's so close. Yeah, uh, I've never Tasty. been in the top ten. I don't think. Really? Didn't you get chicken dinner with yeah. us? I yeah, but I died. At oh yeah. Some point. Yeah, sure, but there. but you, you still you. You, okay. You, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I was. I was still in it. You yeah, get I the was... participation medal, buddy. I got oh. a. I got a participation medal in chicken dinner. I think that's true. You. You also get like, I don't know. I also think that spectating doesn't have to be boring, especially in those last moments, because you're acting as like a second set of eyes. Yeah, um, yeah I actually. I you're really... actively cheating. <laughs> Is it considered <laughs> really cheating by by, oh, by? I have no idea. Blue hole. I. Uh, I'm more I kidding. It. I agree with you 100, percent but to to some extent, like, in some ways, it is cheating. I'm not. You know, and I don't, and I don't want to downplay the kind of co- that competitive drive when it comes to League of Legends because I actually think that it's a very rewarding sort of thing. It's the same sort of thing that got me like showing up and really invested in my little league games when I was a kid, right? PUBG is a little bit more like tag, you know what I mean? In that it's uh, like it's a little less structured, and the goal isn't really to win the game; it's just to play it, right? But you know, when I was playing little league as a nine-year-old or whatever yeah you bet i wanted to fucking win the championship you know what i mean and like that was what that was like the motivating drive and i think that those two things are you know it's funny we talk a lot on the podcast about the the you know like kind of games as uh you know like narrative games as story and then games as sport right but now i think we're in a way subdividing that games as sport to to a certain extent um uh or finding a little bit of a you know like finding a little bit of a middle ground in there uh, just because you know, th- like this is a game that I play more like a sport than I do like a story, right? But it's also a, you know much less like a sport than plenty of other games that I've played in the past. Yeah, I mean it's 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 less like an organized sport and more like a pickup sport. Um, at least uh, is is the analogy that comes to my mind, right? Like, um. We used to you you sang little league. Uh, maybe remember this back in high school. We used to play baseball on little league mounds um, with our old little league equipment, so those old bats. And that game wasn't about which team won; it was about who could like drive the most homers out of the. the, the sound, fucking... That does sound amazing. I am a big fan of those kinds of games with just like radically. You know, we had a we had a game. Um, uh, we had a game that we played uh, in high school that was called Extreme Pong, which was. There was a ping pong table, and then all around the room were a bunch of pillows, right? And the the ball was in play as long as it didn't hit a pillow, was the was the rule was the rule of the game. And we played extreme pong for like fucking hours, you know. You those kinds of uh, uh, those kinds of games are a lot of fun. I'm sorry, Charles. As you guys, is, you guys want to hear about esoteric games? Oh yeah, oh yeah. My dorm has had the same, they, we've had this game called Quad Ball going on for that like 30, 40 plus years now because it was around 1981, so you do the math. Uh, it's, that that's that's a bizarre, but like actually very interesting little sport. Anyways, we digress. Yeah, this is a little no off way, topic. There's literally <laughs> no way, and I'm not Whoops. going to go into all of the stupid rules of that game, but there's a lot and they're fun. Um, but I think PUBG, but I think PUBG taps into that same kind of uh, taps into that same kind of thing. I think that's like absolutely, you know, absolutely the more, right. The more I think about it, this is just it's really for me. I think that there's just the empathy with other players of like, yeah, I know how much it sucks that you just died, and I'm laughing at that because I killed you. Even though more often than not, I'm on the receiving end. I think mm-hmm. that is like, for me, the single biggest motivator. Until you hit like. 
top 20, top 10, and then it's like, oh boy, maybe we can do this. Maybe maybe this is the game, boys. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent, maybe it's a little bit of like, you know, we talked a lot about how when we started playing HOTS for like whatever, like the goofy Blizzard goals or whatever, um, how like we explicitly didn't want to know about like the meta or, you know, like any of that kind of stuff, right? Because us just kind of like dicking around, even though it's not like, I want to be ignorant of those tactics because I know that once I learn them, I'm going to get more and more into it on that competitive side. And that's just like a sink that I'm not, you and know, I don't want to get of it. into. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of like and, I, when... and in a way, I think PUBG kind of could end up being in the same spot, though the the slope is not quite as slippery. Yeah. Because even thinking about, back, like, back to my first games playing League of Legends, I, I think I did kind of feel it a lot of the same way, right? I was just dicking around with Warwick Fiddle top lane, right? You know, like... Uh, the 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 kind of explicit structure that league matches took on once it adopted and kind of embraced its own metagame yeah. uh, is is a little bit of what I, forces that feeling on people. I remember a game of league where I played AD carry Darius and got like 30 kills in my first pentakill and that was great and everyone laughed at me. That was like right around when I started playing with you, like a little before, not not you specifically, but like the large group of people who played league together for like four years. Uh, and everyone was like, what are you talking about? Darius isn't AD carry. I was like, what do you mean? I d he uses AD, and I carried on him, therefore AD carry. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, and also, like, another thing that's like that is, like, I love the early days of, like, a WoW expansion or something like that, where no one really knows how to do the raids or what to do, and maybe that's... I haven't played a lot of WoW recently, and now maybe with just all of the pre-release content and like they this is the thing that people strategies. actually this is the thing people lament um because everything's out ahead of time and the guides are all up before it ever hits live people are like i miss those days when you when you had to figure it out um and because because now, now all the top rating girls have been in the beta server for three months and have figured out to the t exactly yeah, they've how already you... beaten it they just haven't seen the cutscene type deal yeah as the as the resident player uh of wow i will say that i do agree with that to a certain extent um but i also think that there's a lot of like i and i think blizzard has gotten better about this there's a lot of small scale stuff that you can do to maximize yourself and your group um and that it is better, you know, like the 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 the, the wide swath of mechanics um, being what they are. Uh, yeah, like you can read a guide and kind of like get it, and that'll get you through like normal and everything like that. But when you're doing kind of progression and you're sitting there on a progression boss and you're wiping it over and over and over again, and you're slowly doing very small iterations, right? Like when I was doing heroic Gul'dan progr progression, um, there's just this one spot where a whole bunch of ads spawn. And we eventually got to the point where we were wiping because, you know, like, the damage density was just too high during those periods. And so the raid leader made a call, and he was like, all right, listen, nobody is allowed to use cooldowns, like DPS cooldowns, except for in that phase, right? If your cooldowns come up, don't fucking press the button. Wait until the ads spawn, and then, do, and then the, everyone DPSs them down super quick. And that kind of ended up being... Uh, you know, that plus a couple of other alterations, right? That ended up being our heroic Gul'dan kill. And those kinds of, like, small-scale strategic changes and, like, tactical decisions that get made on a raid-by-raid -raid basis, um, those are the kinds of things that I think uh, still hit, like, that, that still scratch that same itch that we're describing. To wrap it back around to PUBG, though, I, I'm sure that eventually... First of all, I'm sure that a meta will evolve and is evolving, but I kind of feel like... I'm at the point with the game now where, like, I 
would start, and there is a little bit of a meta, but you would sort of start to have like this Richard meta forming like, okay, every time you need to drop in this, that, or the other place, and you need to get one of these three weapons and go here and do this and do that. And I just don't feel like that's true or like that's crystallized so much yet. Like, yes, I think that there, it's important that you have an AR in almost every round, except there are, of course, you know, the rounds where you don't, and you're like, well, I have a sniper rifle and a shotgun, and I'm going to make this work. And I actually, uh, if we want to talk about, like, the super current stuff, I think the new patch notes are very interesting in uh, what they do with pistols. But we can leave that for a later conversation. Um, I think that maybe it's just the nature of the game and how it's balanced right now with, like, such a large map um, and such a, like, kind of a roll of the dice on what you're going to get loot-wise, it is refreshing that the meta is not super rigid, and you don't have to, right? There's plenty of room for uh, a lot of, like, variance in player preference and play style. Like, Mango loves shotguns, and, like, there's a assault rifle in the game that I think is not that good called the Scar, like, and then I read on Reddit the other day that some guy being like, oh, I love the Scar, it's my favorite gun. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But, you know, whatever, <laughs> like... Like that's fine, and it's it's no one no one's yet told us this is what you have to do. And quite frankly, just because of uh, we didn't even talk about another one of the randomness mechanics, which is that every time you quote unquote spawn, um, the the location you spawn in is somewhat determined by the game and somewhat determined by you. Uh, which you know some so sometimes you will just be forced to land in some area and, and start your game in a place that you never start in just because that's how the, the game goes. You The beginning of the game, essentially, you're given a path that a plane flies down and you can parachute out of that plane. And you can glide a fair ways from that plane, but if that plane doesn't fly over one of the like places you're sort of used to landing, um, you're kind of SOL and you got to make the most out of it. And eventually, you'll probably have a favorite spot on every part of the map, but like that's still not there and it doesn't feel like it's like super important even as even as it is yeah i i think that um you're like you're, you're pointing to like a lot of important things here like in terms of the meta stuff like i at one point did dive in and do do a bunch of like research and that actually made it better even right like like there so the game has these little fucking bar graphs in game about like relative power and whatever and those graphs are like terribly misleading um, at least in kind of like an absolute sense, like the, um, uh, like, like the, 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 the semi-automatic shotgun versus the pump action shotgun, the pump action shotgun is like supposed to be so much more powerful. You look at the, the, the actual numbers, it's, it's like marginally more powerful. I think that was just because I think that a lot of the stuff in the early going was like one or two streamers, like, you know, they, they formed a feeling, they didn't have any data. They just formed a feeling and they said it. And the the Reddit brigade and their fans or whatever just like sort of blindly repeated it ad nauseum. Like, hey, I believe that the semi-auto shotgun did less damage for a long time until you found oh, that it did. Yeah, I mean, it, but I, and that, that's part of it, right? It, it does do less, but the display in game makes it appear like it does like significantly less. Um, like like the, the like the like when you mouse over the weapon, it has a little power bar, um, and it's not that much less. But because I did that. Right, like I discovered those, like the the three ARs, uh, M416, M16, and the Scar, are all minorly different, but it's all about personal feel, and because of that, I felt 
less constrained to like, oh, it's a, I have a scar and that's an M16, so I should probably pick up the M16. I personally, like you, prefer the M16, but I don't have to. Right. right like, I mean, the reason I don't like the scar is because I think the iron sight sucks. Yeah. And, and I hate having to find a billion attachments to make it feel like the gun's good. Um, at the same time, the gun probably is objectively better once you find a bunch of attachments for it. But whatever, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, but it's, it's like, even, I was going to say this before, like, I, I went and did some of this deep dive, but it didn't make the game more competitive for me. Um, because, because there's such a random aspect to the game, which, you know, kind of, at like a 10,000 foot view, makes the game kind of unfair, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel unfair. Um, and I, I think that... It feels th kind of unfair, but you get over it and play another game. Yeah, uh, well, I, you know, I, and I, I do see what you're, what you're getting at, and it's hard with games like this because you know it always comes down to numbers, right? This is what happened to Payday to a certain extent because you know there are numbers attached to every gun in the game, and uh, and you know you could say that Overkill are shitty, you know, well, uh, publishers, I guess, um, because uh, they release like a million DLC packs, right, with all these different guns. Uh, and, we and you know, like and melee weapons and everything like that, and it's and it's cool and it's fun to walk into you know to walk into a match with um, um, you know like with a claymore or whatever. But we have numbers, right? And so you know, p p players who are pl who are playing Payday can look and they can say, "Holy shit!" You know, the claymore is an awful weapon, or you know, the Desert Eagle is a fantastic weapon. Buy this DLC pack, don't buy that DLC pack, kind of thing, right? Um, and I think that there's a version of this of, of that same kind of thing that could happen to uh, you know like to PUBG right in, in, if PUBG becomes a place where it comes down to you know it like comes down to numbers this is like kind of you know going back to my earlier point about variety right if they go overboard on variety then you're just giving people a bunch of shit guns and a couple of guns that are good right. you know what I mean and, and you're just sort of asking the them to was... like wade through the shit right and i think you know and i agree with you guys right i think that there is i think that there's room to grow until they kind of get properly saturated with their with the variety um but uh uh like i keeping the game away from those kinds of calculations being made and more on the vein of like you know what i like the feel of this weapon more th or like you know things that are like legit intangibles like the iron sights on the scar suck compared to the iron sights on the m16 you know what i mean like i don't yeah. know i think that makes a big difference i, I also think there's a lot, lot to say about like staff decision making right like um the like the akm is slightly better stat wise than the other ars but it fires 762 ammo and 762 ammo is slightly rarer than 556 ammo and if I, i've got 200 rounds of 556 do i really want to drop it for 30 rounds of 7 762 even though this is technically better and I, I actually kind of love that micro decision making it's kind of like you know like I'm going to make a call here. Is it the right call? Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to go for it. Yeah, um, like there have been several games where I walk around and I forego NAR because I'm like, oh, I have a fully kitted out ump. And, like, I'm, I feel like that's that's worth something. Like, I have 300 bullets and a foregrip and a silencer and 2X and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, if I, if I do this now, I'm putting away a lot of, like, kind of power and time invested in this submachine gun. Although I'm slowly deciding that might not be so good because it doesn't seem to do much damage to armored opponents. Yeah, well, that that's you know that, that's all kind of part of like this, this this feel stuff, right? Like, it's I I think those things kind of like like float away from because they're all like things that have to be like decisions that have to be made in match in a lot of ways that that are based around these intangibles. I I think it it kind of keeps it safe from those. 
Like, like with, with, with Payday, as you brought up, you have all those weapons going into the game. So, like, if even if you have, like, you know, I've got a, a gun that does four and you've got a gun that does five, like, I should get the gun that does five because it's always better. Um, and all those intangibles are kind of off off the radar. Um, but even if you have a gun that does, you know, like four versus five in, in this game, it's, it's, there's a lot more, there's a, there's a lot more of the decision soup around that. It's also like from the numbers I've seen, like in this game, almost always it's a couple points here or yeah, there. That, that is a big really part of it. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, I don't want to be too hard on payday, right? I've obviously talked about how much I think payday is like a good solid game and everything like that. But there is a huge difference, I think, between walking into a match with a loadout and, and walking into a match with nothing and kind of making do, right? Uh, you know, like Payday also has, um, you know, like Pay Payday also has other stuff. Like they have these big talent trees and everything like that, and that makes a really radical difference on the kinds of guns that you want to bring. Because you know, now I can take bonuses for shotguns or bonuses for ARs or bonuses for kind of like whatever. In fact, to be honest, a certain amount of me thinks that a system like that might be useful for a full release of PUBG, where you get to make small, minor alterations to your character on, like, on load. Like perks? Um, but before you get... Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, right? You know, uh, but before you get any kind of, like, loot, uh, just from... Uh, because from, like, a team standpoint, I like the idea of having your team be able to kind of specialize lightly, uh, like, pre-match, if so that makes sense. I hear what you're saying, um, and this might be me being kind of old-fashioned about my shooters but i actually like really kind of fundamentally disagree something i really like about the game um is sort of that fairness everyone drops in being equal it's it's down to like the 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 gear you have and your skill and your decision making and that's it like that's something i liked about older uh older iterations in the call of duty franchise uh like i like even though perks were kind of neat in like Call of Duty 4, I just felt like kind of after that point it started getting ridiculous and it all became about, oh, who can hit the dankest kill streak to get their fucking airplane and blah blah blah. Oh, I um, don't I don't want anything like that. I yeah. think that that kind of thing is ridiculous. I can sort of see maybe getting uh being like, "Okay, well like your I don't know. You'd have to like really like tweak it. Like maybe you can't sprint as fast, but you get more stability when you shoot. So like you could do that for like your sniper. Like I'm gonna do that, but like I don't I, know. I, I think you'd have to be very light touch and kind of like very kind of like peripheral and situational. Like the, the only like I, I've thought about this a little bit because because I, I had this, the same kind of idea. And I was thinking something like you know you have a slightly faster swim speed or like you you go to prone slightly faster. Um, I feel like that's the kind of place where you would really start to get, like, the meta. Like, these are... When you're talking about minor stat differences like that, you're kind of going to end up, except for, like, some players who just like being goofy, like, I could 100% imagine you going, like, I am going to be uh, Freddy the Fish, and I'm going to take all of the swimming perks, right? But... For the most part, it will be like the no the you have you have like five percent more boost gain and you you can sprint faster and prone faster. Like those are the meta perks. If you aren't playing with those, you are like 
statistically less likely to win yeah. any fight. So, um, so I think that you, uh, I mean, I think that this kind of thing comes down to like good balance. In my head, one of the things that I like a lot about uh, the tactics that come into PUBG are the things where like we come up to a group, you know, like we come up to a group of buildings late in the game, all the doors are closed, which is a signal that no one has been in them, right? Um, but it's also late in the game, so someone could be camping in there, right? A lot of a lot of houses get picked over, uh, and then you know they, they close all the doors to try and trick you, sort of thing, right? Uh, and so when we move in and we kind of say breaching and all that kind of stuff, like right, that kind of gameplay, which I love a lot, is also the same kind of thing that I can get really into when it comes to payday. Because in payday, you don't want everybody walking into the, you know, like you don't want everybody walking into the group with the same loadout, right? You typically want a heavy guy, and he's going to be like, you know, he's going to be carrying your bags and everything, or you'll have a mastermind who's going to be running around. Uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of like as a healer or a medic bringing you up if you come down, like that, you know, like that kind of stuff, right? And I think that having that in there, especially for squads, right, to allow me to drop in and we're all looting and then we come together at the end of it and we kind of say, okay, look, you know, like, you know, Buddy gets extra armor from armor, so we should give him the level three thing, right? And somebody does extra shotgun damage or whatever, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm sure that there's, the, you know, wildly awful balance to all, uh, plenty of ways to make that. But I think there there is a, a subtle but balanced version of it that makes it so that, like, you walk into the game and you have at least a kind of an inkling of, like, the archetype that you're going to end up in to a certain extent. And you're going to be the point man for your group or you're going to be the sniper for your group or kind of whatever else that might uh, that might otherwise uh, that might otherwise like look something like, like that will naturally shake out in uh, any, like, really serious team i was about to say in any like competitive thing but anyone anyone who's like oh like we want to play this to win it type deal i feel like like at least the way we play is kind of it's a little bit odd i guess because we we have this sort of split mentality on uh kind of what loot gets passed around it's like kind of I, this is this is sort of reverse engineering in my head from like the games. It's kind of like any weapons you find are kind of like yours, right? But when it comes to consumables, we'll try and rebalance that. Um, these aren't obviously not like written rules or anything. It's just sort of what I've noticed when we play. Um, and I think that you know, but some some groups might just be like like instead of like kind of if I find a sniper rifle, I'm going to keep the sniper rifle this game because it's my turn. I found it, so now I get to be the sniper this round. But I'm sure there's some team where it's like. No, give that to Monik. Monik's really good at first-person shooters. Like, if we want to win, the best case is for us to give the gun to Yeah, Monik. I mean, That's we have done that a little bit with Monik. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think to a certain extent that, like, you know, there's, uh, like, we, you know, we were talking about ARs, you know, like everybody wants an AR sort of thing. I think that the game being kind of so naturally long-ranged means that there is, like, a much lower premium on, uh, like, on shotguns and on submachine guns and Definitely. stuff like that. I think there's um, actually... And that, and that there's, a, there's a bit of space for kind of, like, rebalancing almost around that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I do think, especially around submachine guns, I think shotguns kind of do get their due. Um, we're getting kind of into really nitty-gritty stuff here, but both sort of in my own experience gameplay-wise and... Uh, just you know, from what streams and YouTube videos I've watched, it seems like they're like at like close ranges. Like shotguns do seem to be preferred, just because especially uh, the two shot and the S12K. Like time to kill on a shotgun is much faster than an that's, AR. Yeah, that's definitely true. So the last um, thing I wanted to ask you guys, because we're running out of time, uh, is uh, 
going back to some of our old favorite topics that we bring up all the time, do you think PUBG is a roguelike? Uh, <laughs> a, ro- a, a rogue. Uh, I'll, I'll adopt the total biscuit terms here. I, I think we should be discussing if it's a rogue light. Um, oh, fine, a rogue light. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose is what we're really talking about. Yeah. Um, because when you think about it, I like just to make this case a little bit. Like when you think about it, it actually matches a lot of what we think about when we think of roguelikes, right? There's essentially permadeath, right? Um, yeah. Your your you know like your loot and everything is randomized when you when you kind of like walk into it. Uh, you know, there's no there's no possibility of like save scumming or everything like that. It's highly iterative. You know, the expectation is that you die and then come back and then die and then come back, right? And I think it follows like all of that stuff pretty closely, like. I'm I'm more comfortable than I would have like I think if somebody would have said to me right now without thinking about it I would be like no of course it's not a roguelike but actually when I think about it well it kind of it kind of might be I, I think it's got some of those elements there but I think it's largely overridden like like but it's primarily a third person shooter right like like ro- roguelite is a thing that you can drop on top of something but like I, I think that has strong uh, like, like the third person shooter has strong driving factors to it. I also think that, like, th- there's a lot of kind of like, like, I think the loot list is way too short for it to really count. Um, I, I think that's like really a big part of it is like a, a lot of unlocks. And there's also kind of roguelites also have this kind of like bit of like, like in, inter game progression, right? Like, in, inter round progression. Um, like, uh, you know, you, you buy, like, either upgrades or, or, not or like, you know, things just expand the item list in between, and it's all cosmetic in this game, so I don't, I don't think we quite hit that. Um, but I, I do think that's an, it's an interesting point. Um, I don't think it quite makes it, but uh, but, uh, but I see I see what you're driving at. Yeah, I mean, I, like Buddy, I, I when when Buddy first asked the question, I was just like, what, what are you even talking about? But then I thought about it for duration we've been talking about it. and i was like you know i can kind of see it it's is is it strictly speaking a roguelike i would say no also you know never having played rogue or even a lot of like other of the more modern roguelike interpretations but from my understanding of the term is definitely not classically one but i could i could essentially if you want to make the argument that it's like roguelike like Ro- roguelike sure. roguelite is 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 the term? Oh uh, boy! As, as, Mango, as the internet, teach me. Um, I, uh, if if you uh, if you go and listen to our pocket now, um, if the, the total biscuit has a forty minute video on it, so I'm not going to bother rehashing that here. But um, it, 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 essentially, rogue, <laughs> rogue lights have uh, have features that are distinct from but inherited from uh, distinct apart from but but inherited from uh, from rogue and rogue likes. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a podcast that was directly uh, all about define. We didn't really even come to a good definition of for what uh, a rogue like is, uh, uh, or like we really talking about a rogue light sort of thing. Broad um, term that yeah that could mean a lot of things depending. But on I do think it it's was. very interesting to see to see like the same kind of gameplay loops that bring you into uh, you know the, that can kind of like suck you into roguelikes and rogue rogue lights. Uh, used in that multiplayer environment right yeah and it's not quite the same thing right but that kind of like you switch it up every time uh is uh i don't know that's really neat that's really cool and, and I, I think the kind of the real value there is you know it's it's close enough to maybe get a maybe so you can kind of a, apply the, like if you think about the game as a roguelite you can 
do some kind of like design type iterations and, and, and thought experiments in that space, mm-hmm. um, which, which kind of like leads you to these things like you know, you know, does the loot list need to be longer? Like what is, are are like is intergame progress at some minor level something that that could improve the game? Um, and I, I I think it's I think that's valuable. Um, to I also at least think, think by about. the way, that there are plenty of traits. You know, like for instance, the maps are uh, like the map is static. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, so uh, you know that you don't get those those kinds of uh, like you don't get those kinds of aspects to it. But you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's something that I was thinking about, so I wanted to mention it. <laughs> but, but but like you know, just just kind of in in that vein, right? Like you know, the map static, but maybe we could borrow a little bit of an element, and if we like semi-randomize the way the buildings are laid out every time, like that might be a thing that could add make the game a little bit more interesting add to these ran- random elements that we like that, that kind of drive it. Not, Oof. you know, not, not that I'm player unknown or anything, but that's, that, that's like an interesting thing to think about at least. And we do have two more I, maps coming out, right? Yeah. Two more. Yeah. They've announced two more maps, but to that point, actually, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, that would ruin the game for me. But something I, that's like something I really like about the game is that, um, you can't, the map is so big, right? But, I do get this feeling out of it that I don't even know when, like, the last time I felt this in the game. I definitely have, where there are parts of the map I know really well. And in part, that's because uh, there are places we drop a lot. So, uh, like, the spot that we call, like, Road Spot, right? Like, which for people who've played the game is one of the two villages between Pachinki and the school. Um is a place that, like, me and my friend Owen drop a lot, and I don't know how much you guys drop there when I'm not playing with you, but I, like, I love the fact that I know these, this set of, like, six, seven buildings so well, Mm. and also, like, okay, there's, like, this area of rocks over here that's, like, just awesome cover, so I feel, like, really, like, you know, I have the high ground, Anakin, whenever I'm fighting there, because I know exactly, like, Oh, I could I could shoot you from here and not here, and there's this this low wall here and blah blah blah, and that's something I think is really cool. I do think that there's a lot of value in that. You know, it's funny, uh, because I I feel like I haven't played with you in a while because we have kind of adopted a strategy of waiting until like we always want to hit the end of the plane path, um, for for a lot of our drops recently. Like we typically look like what's at the end of the plane path, and then we choose something near nearby the end of that. have you been? Have you been around? Have you been playing? I think there's merit. Yeah, I've I've played I've played like that. I know that Mango's a big proponent of this strategy, and I don't I don't hate it. Uh, I mean, you then can find yourself in very bad situations with the circle. Um, I've it's it's I don't think it's a bad strategy. Uh, I I like it in some ways because you can sometimes find yourself like a nice village that's sort of off by your own, but. I don't know. I just think it, it sort of speaks to the diversity of strategies in the game because there are a That's lot of true. people who uh, really like dropping in the the areas that are highly populated with like a lot of high percentage of I, yeah. Spawns. I just never feel like I'm good enough. Like the military base. Yeah, um, and there's like there's a lot of people who do that. And, you know, there's also this backlash against that that you'll see on the internet where people are like, you are not name of like 420 no scope streamer X. Like you can't you can't pull off all the ridiculous things. You should go to these other places. And I don't know either way people play however that makes them feel good. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's just a diversity of play style thing. I, I think a lot of that anger comes out of um, playing squads with randos, which is not something I'd ever do. Um, <laughs> um, even though we've, like, the couple times I've done it, we've gotten lucky. 
there was uh, what, Vape Life 420. Vape Life 420. 420. <laughs> and he was like the man. It was it was like it was it was perfect. We couldn't talk. We 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 didn't even talk to him for most of the game because there is in-game voice chat, uh, but. It's pretty toxic. It's pretty. It's not even toxic in like a league sense. It's just like toxic in like a you 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 want to stab your eyes slash ears out whenever you have to listen <laughs> to unwashed masses of the internet. But uh, vape life was was a true gentleman. He he like dropped with us. We didn't really interact with him. Uh, he like went and found us a jeep and just sort of sat outside revving the engine until we all got in the jeep and he like led us fearlessly through four engagements until we all died a glorious death yeah he died trying to pick one of us up like a true hero um uh but you know like these are the kinds of like that's all fun but i can't imagine wanting to do that on a consistent basis oh yeah um i can't imagine being vape life yeah um yeah um i actually kind of want to Say this now. We didn't play, uh, we didn't play Hell's Rebels this week, and I don't have a lot to talk about this week because I mostly played this game. Do you want us to go the full hour and a half on this game instead of going to our weeks? Well, so something I do want to, something I do want to do inside of our back back thirty minutes, uh, is pose to Charles the the, the the contentious argument that we had last week about Star Wars playing a Star oh, Wars God. tabletop RPG. <laughs> Okay. okay, so this is so. Here's the context. Okay, so, so we've, left, um, so, we've left battlegrounds behind now. We, oh. I mean, we, we might go back to it. Who cares? Okay. Uh, but the uh, uh, <laughs> so last week we did what's called a campaign pitch me, which is typically where you know, like we come in and for the first hour we just kind of run through an outline for like a story hook uh, and kind of you know like a like a synopsis of a campaign that you'd want to play, right? And so I outlined this whole one um, that has you play, you know, kind of across the transition of. Uh, uh, you know, from the from the Republic into the Empire, um, and Empire I laid all of it out, and we started talking about uh, we started talking about just kind of like Star Wars in general, and I said something along the lines of like I think it would be kind of neat to be the G- like to be a GM right, and you're playing with a bunch of players, and we're all playing in a Star Wars game, uh, and at some point, something that is explicitly like ridiculously different than what the canon of the movies entails happens right you know instead of you know like instead of uh, the first death star being destroyed the first death star destroys yavin 4 right or the evacuation of hoth is like botched or something and you know princess leia dies right or you know like just kind of something along those lines because i like the idea of keeping the play you know like keeping the players on their toes um, and, uh, and like undercutting the canon of the movies that they know they're walking into, right? They know the movies, everyone has seen the movies. You're, you're not going to play a Star Wars, you know, you're not going to play a Star Wars RPG unless you are familiar with like the Star Wars, uh, like universe. And a lot of that familiarity comes from the movies. And I really like the idea of kind of subverting those player expectations and throwing plot twists at them when they think that they're safe because you know what at the end of return of the jedi the emperor gets thrown down an elevator shaft right mango disagreed yeah i i kind of so i i think that like keep like surprising players with that is is not like like that that's the reason i play star wars is because i know a lot of what, what what's there and uh, to change those kind of things on the fly, like I, I'm perfectly okay with going into a game that's supposed to be an alternate history, even if you don't specify what those alternate histories are. But when, um, 
when, when things that, that radical just kind of go off the rails spontaneously, I don't think I'm cool with it. And I, I put a little bit more thought into this post or podcast. I think a big part of that is that, like, I feel like things like that, like, influence the player action so, so hard leading up to, like, the, the twist that, like, it would, it would feel bad in a lot of ways, right? Like, if, if we're, like, you know, in the Battle of Yavin and... Like a lot of a lot of the way that you're making your decisions is gonna ha- gonna be influenced by what you expect to happen, right? In in like as per the canon of the movie, and like having that ripped out from under you, I think would feel very unfair. I think it depends entirely on how the game progressed, and honestly, honestly, I agree more. I'm more on I don't want to say buddy's side of the argument. I could see how it's cool is essentially um, what I'm gonna say. I'm not saying i'm like hardcore oh my god yes i want to be mara jade and uh come from the shadows and shoot darth vader in the back and and (laughs) rolled with an iron fist or whatever uh but you know i like if you were to ask me uh if if you were if you were going to do something like that relatively early in a campaign i'd think it would be pretty cool like if you were, uh, like, I wouldn't do it. I mean, you could obviously do it in the very first, like, uh, session just to, like, kind of put everyone's feet. But I think that, like, kind of the, the mic drop moment coming in, like, the second or third, probably, honestly, third or fourth session, I think could be uh, really cool. Although you might have to balance someone uh, being like, oh, that's not canon. Um but yeah, I think to, to a Mango's extent, point, yeah. uh, the, the one the one thing I wanted to say uh, this is like kind of to Mango's point of like oh you know this feels very comfortable and you like have all of this pre-existing knowledge. I so this would sort of be my problem if you were playing a Star Wars RPG in which you are playing the protagonists. I almost think you're playing it wrong, or even if you're playing near the protagonist, not playing it wrong, but it's just that isn't really what I would want to do, kind of because. Uh, that is so there's so much canon and lore and uh, story and fiction and everyone has their own head canons and blah 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 there's so much built around like Luke Skywalker and the, all of the main characters that you kind of don't want to touch, even with touch that. that's sort of that's exactly what what I'm thinking but I don't mind if something goes wrong there that allows your side character to now like, do something different that's in the movie because when we're talking about meta knowledge and I assume that this is coming from mangoes in my place of enormous amounts of trivia about like that universe and a lot of that would remain untouched if you're like uh, like if you can like recite the Tarkin doctrine from memory like <laughs> all of the sudden the fact that like Yavin 4 gets destroyed like now, now we are, and you know, just running with your caravan idea. Let's let's suppose that we were like like spice runners, right? We were we were fake Hans essentially, and like we were falling into the rebels. But now the now the the rebellion's destroyed, and like the Tarkin doctrine's going off. For those who don't know, that Grand Moff Tarkin was like, "Yo, fear is the order of the day. We're gonna build a billion fucking Death Stars, and they're gonna blow up everything." Um, they weren't necessarily Death Stars, but we don't need to get into that. Uh. Like, that's how we're gonna rule. And like, if now all of a sudden you like like, the campaign is about like, well now we live in a world where there's like 
these planet destroying behemoths around and like what does that mean to the outer rim or like what does that mean to like the core worlds like they don't like the empire but kind of what are you going to do i don't know my my point is that like you could see how you could still get to play with all of your fun star wars knowledge as long as you're playing away from the main cast in a really interesting alternate universe so I think that that is the most interesting Star Wars pitch. <laughs> the, like, I love the idea. Like, just the, the thought in my head that a group of rebels could, like, go and, like, infiltrate, like, one of these Death Stars, and you could have Death Star on Death Star, like, space combat. <laughs> That's the coolest. So, like. so, so I, I think something that, that Charles hit on that, that, uh, I, I, that now that he said it, kind of, kind of rests a little bit better with me, is having that mic drop early, I think, would be super important, right? Like, we talked about that at the end of your pitch, so I'm imagining, like, the last, like, scene, uh, like, you know, like, it's like, you've survived the transition of the Empire, and you've made it to the Death Star, and then the Death Star wins. It's like, that, and that's, like, relatively late in the game. I don't think, I, I think that that's a much harder sell, and a much worse thing, which is why I reacted so strongly to it, that if you do it, like, right up front. I, yeah, I, I think there's a way that you could do it in the back end and be fine, right? I think a, I think a back end campaign where you're kind of, let's say, parallel, but not quite, uh, you know, you're not near, but you're kind of like parallel to, to some of the action that's going on in the movies sort of thing. Uh, I think that that's a great late game plot twist that, you know what I mean, like... The later they, they in the be, game it goes, really the cool. harder it is for me to buy it. But yeah, this is just off the top of my head, right? Like, you know, maybe you or AGM who can, could work it to be amazing. I'm not well, so, saying it's so, not, the, but so to me, thing... it feels like it would have to come early. Like, if it comes more than, like, a quarter of the way into the campaign, it would feel weird. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen. It's just... That's sort of uh, my innate The thing that I'm mostly kind it. of attacking almost with this idea is, like, the metagame subconscious safety, right, that you get when you're, when you're kind of running adjacent to this, right? We all know that the Rebels are going to win in the end sort of thing, so it, it removes a little bit of the drama and a little bit of the tension, a little I bit totally, of the stakes. I totally get uh, that And so I think, like, like if, if we're ending our campaign with, like, the Battle of Endor, right, and... You know, you guys are, you know, like, let's say you guys are in space and you're part of a landing party, you know, you're, like, you're part of a landing party that's just, like, doing kind of, like, whatever in, like, uh, in the construction Death Star or whatever. Um, and, you know, like, it comes over the radio. Well, I guess that doesn't make sense because the shield would never be down. But whatever, you know, like, it comes over the radio sort of thing that, like, the ground forces all died. You know what I mean? That kind of a plot twist can, I think that really can, like, like ramp up the, ramp up the tension uh, and keep players from getting kind of complacent and like almost kind of like going through the motions a, a, a little bit. You know what I mean? Like in, in in the same way that I want player players to have like a consequence on the direction of the story, right? Uh, that's a way that you can. That's a way that you kind of uh, that you can kind of get there. But I, I I think I overall agree. It all really comes down to context. I definitely think that there are some shitty ways that this kind of could happen. Yeah, you know what I mean? I think, uh, I so, think so having something... a through line... Sorry, man, I just uh, wanted to quickly... Like, having a through line... Uh, like, if you're going to do it, I think it's very much GM and game dependent. Like, it has to be done very delicately if it, later it comes in the campaign. Because, to me, you would sort of have to have the, the, the silver thread almost, like, completely unraveled in front of the party... Uh, 
if you were going to do something like that so that players don't just sort of all of a sudden get to this point now mic drop like the world is different and people just sort of it it, it breaks the fourth wall because they're like what the fuck buddy like how did you do this like there's no we we had like like you, you see what i mean like it kind of almost has to be the the party has to be ready for it even if they didn't know it right yeah like, i i, I, I think I think part of this too is is that like the, this the safety that the players kind of get is also a two way street, and like there's a, like there's there's a level of like you know like like fast reading in my head is like oh well maybe you can lessen the blow if you make it like a good consequence, but like you know like maybe because you've been so spectacular the the republic never falls right like you, you prevent uh, Senator Palpatine's ascension to power and that's like a nice reward and I see that going over well and it's like well you could also do that by shooting Jar Jar Binks, like, like way back on Naboo, right? Like you, you can, you can like muck with the timeline, you, you know, you can muck with the timeline that way. Um, and that, that kind of leads us to this point where it's like part of the safety of this world is also safety for the GM, right? The players aren't, pro you know, if you've got good players, um, they're not going to go, they're not going to be like, well, we should go to Naboo and murder uh, Jar Jar Binks, because he's like, you know, he, he, or murder Palpatine directly, right? Like, because he's Space Hitler, and you can murder Space Hitler while he's a baby, so let's do that. Um, I think that, like, the kind of, like, agreement, the, the kind of social contract in place that says that the players don't try and fuck with the timeline on their own accord also kind of comes with this counter agreement that you won't fuck with the timeline on your side because... Um, it, it, like, like it, it's 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 kind of a mirror there, if, if that makes sense. Ah, man, I really don't know that I agree with that because at the end of the day, like, I'm the fucking GM. It's easy for me to hot fix stop you guys from assassinating Senator Senator Palpatine as a baby, right? You break into his house and you all get arrested because you're trying to murder an infant, right? You know what I mean? Like, like it, like I think that that kind of uh, uh... right. There's like you know maybe murdering. Emperor Palpatine in his crib is, is a little, is a little extreme, but like there are micro decisions that would be reasonable to make that like, you know, like, you know, well, let's say like you've got the, like you, you land on it, like you, you're, you're one of the landing parties on Endor and like you could make a decision that's like, well, we could reinforce like, you know, Han's group, right? But the players are like, you know, we're not going to touch that because we don't want to, like, screw with that because, you know, that's just something that's like, you know, that's different. So we know that, like, like it would be smart for us to go help Han with the shield generator because that's the important thing. And that's the thing that could be apparent even from inside the game without with, without, without the outside knowledge of, of the universe, right? Um, but the players kind of implicitly are like, okay, we won't do that because that's going to screw with things and that's going to make... Uh, life rough for the GM, so we'll go over here instead, right? Um, and we won't, we won't even uh, attempt it, right? Um, and then and then you know like oh well they all died, right? It's like well we could have helped them and we were considering that, but we didn't do that out of consideration for the GM. Yeah, but I think you're I think you're outlining just like you're outlining like the worst case scenario, and I agree that that's a like that's kind of like the possibility. But I think you know I think the kind of contract that the player signs to stay relatively on the rails and not try and like. And you know, to not do like crazy, stupid fuckery, right? The the reverse side of that that the GM signs is that he's not going to go out of his way to be like a huge dick and punish you. You know what I mean? This is a little bit of what I like. I I definitely agree that using this as a way to punish players is probably dumb and bad. 
You know what I mean? And I think that that's like the the scenario that you're outlining. But I but what I want to attack and what I want to get away from is any any sense that the players have that everything will be all right and everything is okay because we know that we know the outline and the trajectory of the movies. You know what I mean? Again, I think that that comes down to like I I see your point, buddy. Like I I to some extent agree with your point that like yes that can be cool. Uh, I think as I said before, it would come down to the. Uh, to the GM, but that's really only if you're playing super adjacent to the uh, plot of the movies, right? Like if you're if you're running like you know again like I if you're talking to me about do you want to play a game in the Star Wars universe? I do, but I really don't want to play anywhere near the movies. I I always find like you know what like let's just do a fucking, like, let's be mercenaries in the hut war, right? Like, let's just do something that is, like, like, yeah, like, it's in the Star Wars universe, but it's not really related to galactic events. Maybe, like, you know, that that could lead into something that, like, is, like, a cool side story or something, but, like, it's almost not, like, I don't mind the, the world changing around me as long as it wasn't, like, the, like the example of being on on uh, not Yavin yeah, Endor uh, when when Han's raid is going off, it's uh, that that would just almost sort of feel like a cheap, boring campaign to me. Like, oh, I'm gonna go help the rebels fight fight the the evil, evil Nazi space people. Wrong. Yeah, I think it's a little bit tougher with Star Wars because there's such an explicit kind of like timeline to things. Because uh, I'm actually kind of with you on that on that front. Uh, even though I think, like, at the end of the day, I kind of think that's, like, a taste thing. Like, I'm not going to begrudge any group that wants to kind of, like, you know, play adjacent to the movies and, like, weave in and out. Yeah, like, I, I don't, think that I don't that begrudge is cool them. I just, whatever. to me, uh, if I'm going to be playing that game, that yeah. that just feels like a weird thing to do. Because, because you have, have the other side that Mango of Mango is like, well, I know what happens here. And, like, I don't really need to play this story. Yeah, but the other side of that is that I really do uh, – I also think that there's something to be said for kind of, like, getting to play as, you know, your favorite, like, action figures. Kind of, you know what I mean? Like, or like, uh, like, I played a superhero game that was based on, like, DC Comics characters, and it's not – you know, we didn't ask anybody to make new characters, right? We just – people just chose their favorite – you know, like, their favorite members of the DC universe, yeah. right? And so somebody was playing The Flash, and somebody was playing Martian Manhunter, and somebody was playing whatever, right? And then we went through a story, but, like, you know, with comics, things are so much more kind of, like, story amorphous, and even though that there is, like, a canon and a continuity and everything like that, it's much easier to kind of remix those elements because there's so much going on in parallel at once, whereas the Star Wars movies themselves create such a powerful, you know, like, like anchor to the rest of the universe Right, you can you can like I think it's easy to kind of like remix remix and futz around in like the old Republic, right? Uh, or you know like book stuff like Yuuzhan Vong or you know whatever else sort of thing. Um, but uh, uh, I think yep. Star Wars Star Wars is is a little bit more like uh, driven by a narrative core that you really kind of can't tamper with too too much. Yeah, I don't know if this is too far off topic from this, but just like kind of something like where where some a story that I that I kind of really wanted to play out was like right when uh the the put it a different way I I always kind of wanted to play out like the the dark jedi right like 
the guy who is fighting for good but ha like like has to do bad things. Maybe this is just a through line because like Alaric is also kind of like that in Hell's Rebels, right? It's like he's he's not a bad guy, but he is very much an ends justify the means kind of guy. So when when the Old Republic came out, uh, I was like, oh man, one of the classes in that is like the Jedi Shadow, and that was the the description of the class is that you were essentially like Jedi secret police. And I really tried to play that character, um, but just like kind of the morality system in that game was like you were 100% good or 100% bad. Um, and it was really hard in an MMO to play the, the character I wanted, especially in like kind of the, the Bioware style having like, you know, like the, you have these three wheel actions and that's kind of all you can do. Yeah, um, yeah. And like I think that that would be super cool to be able to play in a more freeform setting like an RPG like you know where you are the guy who's fighting for the good side but sometimes you are going to have to murder these babies um because they're really evil babies. Um I I, I think that works. In, in fact, th I think this slots well into like the like uh four smugglers in a Jedi party type type uh type uh, uh thing that we talked about when we talked about Star Wars essentially uh, to catch you up, Charles. Essentially, if you have a party with and it's not all Jedi, you probably want one, maybe two people only to be Jedi, and most of the people have to be normies because um, it, it it just kind of like works out weird the other way around. It doesn't feel quite right. Um, but I yeah, I mean that depends on the system a lot. Um, I I'm I, I'm not I, I'm not talking from like a systematic point of view. I, I think it's more from like a kind of like a, a storytelling point of view, right? Like like four. It's like the same problem as like four paladins and a rogue. Um, like it, because because smugglers are are because like everybody is like every everybody who's not a a, a Jedi is kind of like a smuggler in a lot of ways. Like, like it, it, it's very hard to break the, those two big archetypes in Star Wars. Um, like you could get variations, but like there's a because the rebellion is a rebellion. There's a lot of like underhandedness kind of inherent, I think, to the characters. Um, but I definitely think it could work because of that. Um, uh, it's it's just something you'd have to like. I, I I wouldn't show up to you know random Star Wars game um, with with people you don't know and be like I'm gonna play Dark Jedi. Um, I I make that sure that's a thing that you discussed with. Uh, that's not what you're gonna do when you show up to that game in Gen Con. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially because it's an Age of Rebellion game. I don't even know if they'd let me play a Jedi. I do have to say that one of my favorite parts about playing, uh, one of my favorite parts about playing that second edition Star Wars is there are a ton of different races. But one of the races is Gungan, and the other one is Ewok, uh, that are super, because uh, like, whenever somebody plays Gungan, Without a doubt, they do that like shitty bad accent and end up being like a like a Jar Jar Binks kind of like kind of clouded. This, by the way, was before we all decided that you know the Phantom Menace was bad. This was like two or three years after, I guess. Uh, 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 well, maybe it was like four or five years after it came out, sort of thing. And then uh, and then you know like you could play Ewoks, but Ewoks didn't speak basic as their like their their base language. They only spoke Ewok, and you could only play them after the like after the rebellion era or whatever because like they don't get discovered right, right. until until after that i think that kind of thing in star wars being able to kind of just like what would a gungan jedi look like <laughs> no, you, you, you know you, you you joke but like one of, 
what what that's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, I also have this concept for like a Gungan that's like 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 war scarred. Like he he fought at the Battle of Naboo and he's like <laughs> and and he he kind of he, he's like super serious and he kind of talks like um like 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 the the his uh, Charger's general friend, you know, yeah. like kind of like raspy like oh that that or he's or he's a, a boss ass form Gungan, you know, like. Um, I also had an idea for for a Gungan who's like a diplomat, and he's he's famous because he's he's the guy that defended uh, Jar Jar Binks at trial, um, and got him off without without like you know paying for war crimes or whatever like that that like I don't know I've got so many Gungan storylines in my head, buddy. Hey, I is, like I like that you Boss love Gungans. Nass, here's the, here's the question for you, Mango. Just going completely off the deep end is like. Boss Nass, like, is he just a really fat Gungan, no. or is he like part of like the ruling race of Gungans, and they have like a whole whole genetic caste system? I don't, I don't. So if if I remember correctly, I don't think it's a genetic caste system. I think they're just two f- two types of Gungans, and he happens to be of the of the. Uh, oh, that's interesting. The fat I was always I always wondered that. I I always thought that that because they were kind of like amphibians or something like that, and like amphibians. You know, like they like they change pretty dynamically between being a tadpole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's easy to see how a how a baby is like a is like a tiny human, but it's really kind of hard to see how a tadpole is a tiny frog, right? And I just kind of assumed that that you know, like that was like some extra phase where his like fucking ears fall off and you get really fat or whatever. I don't know. I just my pitch for Something a Gungan Jedi was always about. that his ears, uh, his ears are like cropped. Like very explicitly, like cropped and scarred because he's bad. He he's clumsy with his lightsaber. And he cut <laughs> off his own ears. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, well, it's so like, what, what the fuck do Twilight Jedi's do? Because there's, there's a bunch of those guys, and they got they got floopy shit on their heads. Oof. They uh, they they. I mean, they, we see them fighting in the prequels a lot. Like, yeah, they they use the force. They make derpy force. <laughs> they use the force. No, they straight up like <laughs> like like there's like. One of the derpiest moments in all the prequels is when there's like that Twilight Jedi that just sort of does like the uh, the Star Wars or not sorry it's the Star Trek uh, Vulcan thing the the live long and prosper at like a group of battle droids they sort of fly back and he like smiles this retarded smile. Oh, um, sure there's wait, like at that, least wait, hold on. Books. Is that is that a Twilight? I thought that was Kit Fisto. Uh, I could be wrong. It's been a while. It might, since, it might not be. Kit it's Fisto. been a while since I've seen remember. episode two, which is where that happens. So That's true. So episode two is. So, so if you, yeah. if you if you want an in the weeds explanation, I bet you it's something like uh, Twi'leks with long leku are more attractive than Twi'leks with short leku, and so Twi'leks with short leku are more likely to become Jedi because they're not busy being sex slaves. Um, and so that. <laughs> Hey, I, I hey, bet you it's something wrong. like that. Well, well, well played. I do, I do appreciate the uh, the insane, the insanity of your, uh, yeah, um, uh, uh, of your like Star Wars minutia. Uh, 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 so I, 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 I jumped to the Wikipedia, um, which as as Charles Sears was saying has more information about Star Wars than Wikipedia has about real life. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Um, That's true. That and the Gungan, there are two Gungan races: the lanky Atola and the heavier heavier Ankura. And they're they're just two different types of uh, types of Gungan, at least in the current canon. It might have changed from Legends, but you know. Wow, that's 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 interesting. Holy shit! I've been a, I've always been a big fan of Keldor, uh, uh, the um, 
the Keldor Jedi Plo Koon was a, was an early favorite of mine because he showed up in just like he showed up in like some shitty licensed game, uh, but he had a yellow lightsaber which I thought was awesome. Um, Plo Koon rings a bell, but I can't remember who he is or what he does. He's he's kind of famous. He's like the he has like the mask on, you know what I mean? Um, and they're like little a little bit like buggy, but he has this like mask visor thing because their atmosphere isn't oxygen rich. It's like methane sci-fi, rich or something. Sci-fi, yeah, sci-fi, yeah. Sci-fi, sci-fi. You remember that shitty Jedi costume I got that one year, uh, Charles? No. Oh, never mind. No, it, 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 it was a Plo Koon costume, and it came oh, with was a shitty. Really? Came with a sh- so. Um, for those of you at home, no, no, this is, I, so I, I work in the same kind of building as, as a, uh, as, as, as LucasArts people and they have sales and they were just selling like surplus Star Wars merchandise and they had like 30,000 Plo Koon costumes. (laughs) And so it was was like $2. Legendary Star Wars character Plo Koon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, I guess you might think of him as famous uh for um uh like the in the order 66 montage it's very clear that he gets you know like he's like flying around he's flying around with two clone troopers on his wings and the clone troopers like look at each other and they like fall back a little bit and then they like pew, pew, pew. he's also on the jedi council yeah. by the way um uh, he was a big fan qui-gon has always been my favorite jedi he's a big fan of qui-gon so that's also a qui-gon movie uh, oh god! I mean, there already uh, was. It's called Episode One, but yeah, uh, <laughs> another one. We 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 could we could just have a whole podcast of the three of us just like shooting the shit about Star Wars minutia. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably a true thing. Did you did um, you hear? I, I I guess we're we're a very off topic. It'd be almost out of time, but there's today the hubbub on the internet was that they fired the directors of of Han Solo, the Han Solo movie, because it was like too goofy and like uh, someone said they turned him into Ace Ventura. Um, that was okay. So I do. So first of all, I know what where that report comes from. That is an pro, that's probably a lie. Uh, that comes from an extremely dubious place. Um, but the the meat of what you're coming at is is true. They were uh, they were a little too like jokey and funny for the very old school, old fashioned. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan and uh, uh, Kathleen Kathleen Kennedy, so they got axed and replaced with Ron Howard. Yeah, that's that's excellent because I don't, I I'm okay with like Han Solo is a very specific brand of roguish, and there is there is a fine line there. Like like you know Han shooting first as much as it never like Han shooting first very much sort of describes describes that even though I'm not like one of those people who. Like got all bent out of shape at least initially about like that whole thing. Also, we were pretty young when it happened, to be fair. But like, that is very much his character. And like, if you go too far in the like, I'm just gonna be a wisecracking asshole the whole time. Like, that's not Han Solo to me. Yeah, I I also think there's a there's a level of uh, uh of, of like, um, what's what's how do I want to put this? Like, it's it's. It, it's hard. It, I think you really want a a kind of like tried like Ron Howard makes like very kind of old school movies, and I think that's what that's clearly what Kasdan wants for this movie. He's an old man who makes old man movies for old men, and I, I think uh, I don't know. 
I don't know. First part of this, I mean, like, yeah, that's true. And they what? also, I mean, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller have like extremely. I mean, they they make fantastic movies. Don't get me wrong, kind of thing. But uh, uh, but their movies are made in like a really different. Like so, okay, so um, this is like kind of baseball stuff. But something that happens a lot on like sets for these things is you'll have like. 15 cameras set up at any individual time so that in the editing room you have a lot of different options to kind of like cut between this that and the other thing right uh but phil lord and christopher miller come from animation like that's their background um you know they did the two cloudy with a chance of meatballs movies they did the lego movie they worked for cartoon network on a a tv series called clone high um and so they don't do that kind of like max it's called coverage maximum coverage uh version of filmmaking um, which is an alarming thing if you are the producer, like Kathleen Kennedy, who has final cut on a movie, and you're watching these guys and you say, they're only giving me two angles for this whole conversation, you know what I mean? What am I going to do in the editing room with that kind of thing? Um, also, that kind of thing is a very cheeky trick that directors frequently pull on producers, where... What you are know, you gonna do? You have, you have. Like... The, yeah, the, yeah. That's ex- like, for instance, John Ford did this. John Ford didn't have final cut on any of his big famous westerns, right? But he would shoot such just little amounts of film that there was kind of no other way to edit the movie together. At the, you know, like at like when, when like when it got to the editing room and the producers were put were putting everything kind of together. Um, so that you know, so like that kind of stuff uh, was. Uh, uh, that kind of stuff definitely contributed to things. But anyway, I guess we're out of fucking time. Yeah, man. Whoops. <laughs> well, we didn't get to talk about sound or uh, or dr- or boosts. Um, but uh, you know, we'll, I'm sure I'm sure we will we will end up talk as we play more of this game and we'll end up more in the, the back half hours of these episodes. So look forward to that. I guess at some point, um, uh, if you want to. Email us tell us what you think of PUBG or of Star Wars. Um, you can email us at subdervisplaygames at gmail.com. You can uh, follow us on Twitch at play or twitch.tv slash subdervisplaygames. You can rate us on, on iTunes and on uh, SoundCloud. You can comment, subscribe, all the places, all the links are in the description. Ratings on iTunes is apparently good for us. So do that, please. Um, and I think that's about it. Buddy, did you have anything you wanted to promote? I have nothing I want to plug. Charles, did you have anything you wanted to pro- slash somewhere that you wanted people to follow you at? Um, I don't have a huge internet presence because I'm not cool and with it like you guys. I mean, technically, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at I win you lose because I made that name when I was ten. Um, <laughs> I don't even think I follow you on Twitter. I should though. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I I never. I do want. That is actually one thing I do want to plug real quick because I remember it. Uh, I want everyone to go look up, uh, uh, also friend of the cast, Alex Zhao and Mango had a Twitter conversation the other day about salad. (laughs) It was was amazing. Please go see it because that was comedy gold. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, but maybe I will just because. I'll I'll put a link in the description. (laughs) Oh, God, please put a link to that. Oh, it was so good. All right. Well, if that's it, uh, and until next time, dear listeners. Yeah, until thank next you for time, having loyal me on. listeners. It was fun. Yeah. Anytime, Charles. Anytime. anytime. Yes. <laughs>